Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. You're listening to These Interesting Times, Surviving 2020 in the Quad Cities, a literary anthology edited by Misty Urban and published by the Midwest Writing Center Press in Rock Island, Illinois. Dan Moore, A Season Without Baseball. It was a hot August Sunday as I crossed the Mississippi Centennial Bridge into Iowa. Seeing the baseball stadium below, I decided on a whim to pull into the parking lot for a look-see. It had been almost a year since I'd been there, September 9th, when we lost in the second round of the playoffs to end our 2019 flood-shortened season. Normally, the empty parking lot meant the team was at an away game, but not this year. Their groundskeeper's cars were missing, They always had something to do to keep the field condition playable, even when the team was away. Missing, too, were any signs of the managers who worked in the front office. Today, in this pandemic year, the lot was empty. I took the closest patron slot to the box office and headed towards the suite entrance. The double glass doors were unlocked, which surprised me, since none of the staff's cars were around. Inside the reception and elevator alcove, the lights were out, but I saw the light coming from under the business entrance door leading to management offices. Trying the doorknob, I found it unlocked. I stepped into the reception area, dark with the exception of one overhead light. Hello, anyone home? All I heard was a muffled echo of my voice. The only sound came from the compressor fan to the office's small refrigerator, where a ready supply of sodas were kept during the season. I was the only one here, which I guess was to be expected. The pandemic had postponed and then canceled this year's season, but not before a 300-plus payroll had been hired. In May, I had read that Dave, the team's owner, had trimmed the payroll and let go all but three of the hires he had made in good faith back in early March. He kept only the sales, ticket, and groundskeeping managers. They were essential functions regardless of the schedule because sooner or later there would be baseball again. I didn't blame him for his decision, but the cooks, concessionaires, ushers, video board operators, game event programmers, and me were out of a job. Luckily for me, the work was simply a sidelight, something to do in retirement. But the young minor league front office managers and the game-to-name workers had a greater stake in the enterprise than did I. My effort was not for the paycheck, 25 bucks a game or for the press box meal they served as a perk each game. I did it because I love baseball. Remembering this gave me a regretful twinge. Between the flood last year and the pandemic, baseball was becoming hard to come by. But unlike last year, almost every bit of leisure pastime was put on hold, not just the national pastime. Schools were closed, as were churches, restaurants, theaters, and playgrounds. At 74, I could put it in perspective. These measures were all for our own good. But to miss baseball? That really hurt. There had been a minor league baseball team on the bend of the Mississippi River continually since 1927. The years since had covered a lot of bad times, floods, world wars, depressions, recessions, as well as good times in between. But there had always been baseball. 
It made me feel good to think about baseball again. The stadium, the setting, everything associated with the game. I missed it. Right now, we should be wrapping up a season and heading either for the September playoffs or sending the players and managers home and waiting for another crop of youngsters next year. Most folks outside base operations don't realize each season's management team is trying to work their way up to the bigs, just like the ballplayers are. They are recent college grads in fields like sports management, communications, or sales and marketing, with their sights set on a career in professional sports. A few of them preferred baseball, but most weren't particular about which sporting field they landed in, as long as they reached the major leagues, NFL or NBA, where the big money flowed to the chosen few and not just for the players. It was a dog-eat-dog business for everyone involved. If someone moved ahead to the next level, that meant one or more of their colleagues did not, and the winners wouldn't lose a night's sleep over it. I took the back door to the stairwell and went up to the second floor lounge. The bright sunshine streamed through the glass fronted area, leaving me a warm, welcomed feeling. I went out through the glass doors to the concourse that ran behind the field box seats from the first base side down the third base foul line. The concession stands fronting the inside of the concourse were out of service behind locked roll-up doors. But all 20 rows of field box seats their blue, red, and yellow colors coated to the different to different inch price levels, bast in sunshine. Their seat bottoms folded up against the backs, standing like little soldiers on a semicircular parade field. The seat slats soaked up the sunshine and beckoned to be occupied. I obliged them. Every aisle separating the sections was clean as were the rows in front of the seats where fans could normally shuffle towards their seats through the underfoot peanut shell debris with their hot dogs, beers, and mustard-covered pretzels. The meager field maintenance crew had kept up the field appearance nicely. The grass was a deep green, trimmed short, and sported the team's River Bandits logo, mowed in relief in the outfield grass. They had raked the infield dirt smooth, and with the exception of bone-white bases, and some freshly limed foul lines, the park was ready for the home team to take the field. But that wasn't going to happen today or anytime soon. I stepped down the aisle, separating two sections to a row midway to the field, and sidled towards the middle. No beer, no soda, no nothing to slake the thirst that I now felt under a full-up midday sun. I sat down, flopped my arms around the tops of the two adjacent chairs, put my feet up on the back of the seat in front of me, and drank in the scene. The Mississippi flowed steadily beyond the center field wall, blue-brown, inviting anyone who wanted to partake of the fun she offered. A working coal barge with tow worked its way up the current past the park, heading upstream. It was somehow comforting to watch her chug by. Last season's advertisements lined the outfield fences, some of the colors beginning to fade from overexposure to the sun. The center field jumbotron with its scoreboard just below was dark. There were, there were no lighted numbers for balls, strikes, or outs, no indication of which inning was in progress, no scores from out-of-town games. There was no baseball. A shadow silently moved across the infield grass, I looked up to see a flight of pelicans cruising in formation like miniature bombers on a somewhere-bound mission. 
They glided from right field towards the center field fence, wings absolutely motionless, resting on the thermal only they could feel. At least something was getting used from the ballpark today. I closed my eyes. Air hushed through the latticework of the stands. A train whistle warbled from the tracks paralleling the opposite riverbank, and traffic noise rumbled off the bridge just yards beyond the right field parking lot. These sounds were at the same time strange and familiar to me, not that I hadn't heard them before, but during a game with several thousand people in the stands and music and promotional announcements on the loudspeakers, these sounds of solitude would be lost to a person's ear. After several minutes of enjoying the piece, I stepped back up the aisle to the concession concourse and made my way to the third level where the enclosed suites and the press box were. I walked down curved hallway behind the suite entrances towards the first base side, just to take in the view through the glass enclosure out to the field. Raised 30 feet above the playing field, this gave the fans an unencumbered view of the entire game and a sweeping panorama of the Mississippi and Illinois suburbs in the distance. Making my way to the area behind home plate, I entered the press box door. The enclosed curved interior hallway was bright from the sunlight coming through the huge picture windows that fronted each of the four press boxes. Each room was big enough to accommodate four comfortably. But during the game, there would be as many as five or six in each box doing their thing. The center box was the home team announcer, best seat in the house, directly behind home plate in line with the pitcher's mound and second base. I stepped into the official scorer's box, one enclosure to the right, where I operated the scoreboard during the games. Within this cozy space, I shared a counter with the official scorer and two interns, one who ran the Doppler radar and the other recorded every play on one of nine high-speed cameras set around the playing field. Players at this, the lowest level of minor league ball, didn't make very much in the way of salary, but there was no expense that the major league affiliate would not incur to evaluate their talent. My high-back ergonomic chair was in its usual spot right where I had left it last September's final game. I pulled it away from the counter. The scorecard I had used to keep track of the season-ending game still sat my workstation with my ballpoint pen atop. No pencil and eraser for me. The Sunday Times crossword, this was not. Straddling the chair, I surveyed the field. Home plate was 40 feet out and 30 feet below, slightly to my left. I could use a little parallax to interpret balls and strikes, but all I usually had to do was watch the umpire. If he raised his right hand, it was a strike. But every umpire was different. Each one used his or her, in two instances in the last few years, own nuances to call the game. Some were overanimated, so there was no doubt about what the call was, even though I could not hear them because our window was always shut to keep in the air conditioning. Some umps were less emphatic with their gestures, and I had to use player, pitcher, and fan reactions to divine the call. Of course, the four of us in the booth were free with our expressions of how the plays and calls went during a game. We got emotional and raised our voices, and the rafters on occasion, when it was clear that these rookies, every player and the umpires too, were just like the people working downstairs on the business side of the game. Each of them was trying to impress the scouts that they were the right one to move up to the next level, and eventually to the show. But this was minor league baseball, with all its warts and scars and mental mistakes. What the heck, the beer and the hot dogs were the same as at Yankee Stadium, but less expensive. A movement on the glass front of me caught my eye. It was a spider venturing out to tend its web where several mayflies fluttered hopelessly. This was one of our press box's favorite pastimes, 
when the game unfolding before us was too uninspiring to follow, watching the march of the spiders as the evening moved into night. Only the smaller eight-leggers ventured out during the heat of the day, but as the sun set, the bigger ones eased their way onto the silk-lined playing field suspended from the framework of our picture window. The spiders started out small each spring, like the ball players on the field, new to that year's version of the game. And like the players, they grew throughout the season. By the time the playoffs arise, there were some true spiderial behemoths, bodies as big as a dime, who stalked up from below the window's ledge. When a smaller spider happened across the web of one of the big boys, our attention would invariably turn to the spider wars on a plate glass galaxy not so far away in a time suspended from anything happening on the field. Though these arachnid skirmishes were brief, on occasion the scoreboard would get a ball or strike behind in the count, so oblivious was I to the field action. A knocking on the door jam forced me out of my daydream. It was Dave, the owner, with two beers in his hand. He extended one towards me. Here, I wasn't expecting anyone else to be here today. When I saw the car on the lot, I figured there was someone else as crazy as me about baseball who had come in to soak up some nostalgia. It took me 10 minutes to find you, though. Thanks, Dave. I took the offered beer and motioned the bottleneck towards him in salute. A summer concession barker with a tray suspended from his neck with a raft of cool ones would not have been more appreciated on this hot day. Dave and I weren't exactly bosom buddies, I had been the scoreboard operator for five years before he bought the team six years ago. Other than passing pleasant hellos in the booth when he stopped in each game as one of his checks on each aspect of his business operation, he had not said more than a few words to me each other. As I came to learn, he was the kind of owner who noticed everything, so his coming by this time didn't completely surprise me. After a quick swig, I said, Welcome to my world, suspended in the rarefied air of our friendly confines. Right here in these four press boxes is where all the game show magic occurs. Scores, videos, fake organ music, and the works. All of that and the best view in baseball. At least, when we have baseball. You're really into this, aren't you? I smiled. It's not a bad way to pass an afternoon. Or was it a lifetime? Thank you for listening to These Interesting Times. This audio presentation is made possible by a partnership between WVIK, Quad Cities NPR, and the Midwest Writing Center in Rock Island, Illinois. Support for this project comes from the Illinois State Library.